You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. Uh, I am without Chris Santos this week, but he is coming back soon, and I do have a very good friend of mine, an old friend of mine who I recently reconnected with, Brian Landreth, merch guy to the punk stars, could we say, among other things? Yeah, among other things. We ran into each other in a not punk show, but, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? I feel like Killswitch Engage would view themselves as a punk band. Well, the venue we were at was not punk at all. I thought it was very punk. It was like almost like a VFW show. But it was like the... <laughs> the the meeting place in a hotel. This is true. It was it was like definitely the weirdest kill switch engage show in some time. Yeah, the weirdest one I've ever done for sure. And you've done a bunch. Yeah, they they pop up every once in a while. You got to do a weird one. So can you explain a little bit about what you do because it's kind of multifaceted and interesting. I sell merch. I'm a merchandise manager uh, for bands, and with Kill Switch, they have their own merch company, which is how most most bands operate. They'll have a merch company, and then there's the road rep who's out on tour. They have varying amounts of responsibility. So, you know, when I first started, I just showed up and sold T-shirts or whatever they had to sell. Um, and as I've grown and continued on in this, I've started my own company. And so for some of the bands, I'll actually do the fulfillment of whatever they need for for merch out on tour uh, and, you know, e-commerce as well. A lot of bigger bands will have a company and then just a guy out on the road who is just the rep that sells out there for them. Right. I just saw an opportunity where like, well, I could do both. And then this could be more of a career than just a, not a hobby, but you know, I could, I could live off this, sustain off of this if I'm able to be the company as well. So. Yeah. And so you started to do merch for like a few pretty cool bands, like selling on the web store side. Yeah. I mean, I worked with them originally and I was just like, Hey, I think I could do this. And it's more, you know, you'd be like the only band I work for or a couple of them. And I can kind of cater to whatever whatever you guys want to do or not do. It's really up to you. So that grew and grew. And then it kind of hit a point where I'm like, still touring because that's pretty good income. But the web store side of it was starting to get a little lax. So um, at the beginning of this year, a couple of friends of mine uh, started an imprint on another uh, merch company. 
and we're kind of trying to focus uh building that right now but um yeah it's been it's been a, it's been a ride covid definitely sent us down a different path than we thought it would but that definitely uh, helped keep me afloat the whole e-commerce side of it so that was nice yeah how was that merch business for you during covid that's actually where i started to ramp it up i was you know i i, I had I had done two stores and it was kind of just limited drops and stuff. Um, but then when COVID happened and I had nothing else to do and I realized that I could run this from where I lived, I just, that's when I, that's when I beefed it up a lot and tried to take on more clients. Cause I had obviously a lot more free time. It's been fun. It continues to be fun. And now that I have eliminated having to do the fulfillment side of it out of my house, uh, it's been a lot more fun. <laughs> Don't have to I can imagine. Customer. Have a deal with customer service or anything like that, so it's been great. So I have a couple questions based on this gig on both sides of the gig. Sure. So on a more practical, like you know, you've sold more T-shirts than pretty much anyone else. Level. How do you organize yourself for this sort of stuff? Because like I look at, like I remember I was watching you the other day at Killswitch Engage. Yep. And you had like. You sold all the merch on your own. And I'm assuming you were doing it all on your own every other day of that tour. Yeah. How do you how do you organize yourself so that you can sell thousands of dollars of merch without like going insane or pissing anyone off from having to wait too long? Yeah. With them, uh, they don't want another seller. Sure. They're like, you're our guy, you're out here, you're gonna sell for us. With other bands I work for, they'll want that second seller so that there is no lines or shorter lines. But everyone is usually pretty cool uh, when buying merch. I think they know that buying merch directly from a band at a show is the best way to support that band. They hire me. I'm an employee of the band and I sell directly, you know, from consumer to from, you know, the band or whatever. So I've been doing it long enough where, you know, after one or two shows, you kind of get an idea of the amount of stuff you want to bring in. Right. You don't want to bring in everything because then you're going to like for me, I have to count in and count out every single night. Gotcha. So you limit the number of boxes you're doing total. Yeah. So I think the show that you were at, we just had a shipment. We rushed ordered a shipment overnight to get shirts for that show and the show after that. Because before a tour, you do projections based on previous numbers of what you've sold. And it's basically an educated guess. And that's all you get. So in the case we had, one of the shirts that we thought would do okay ended up doing amazing. And we sold out of them in two shows. So we had to rush order and overnight some stuff. Yeah, as far as the the one person versus the two person thing, like there's definitely positives to both. Like I said, Killswitch fans were really cool about, they were willing to wait. And uh, that's really all I could ask. I try to move the line as fast as I can and be polite, but I try also not to cause conversations with people because then that's when the line stops you want to just churn and burn yeah um on that note how do you set up a merch stand to kind of and how much have you thought about like setting up the merch to maximize the sales that you're going to get out of it yeah i mean we for that one i for that one i guess it didn't matter because it was such a short tour but sure but i mean like more broadly speaking yeah, yeah. i usually try to keep the best sellers in the center best selling items dead center and then branch out as it goes you'll find that some shirts just don't sell as well as other ones so you kind of don't give them prime uh, prime location for for you know people when they walk up there you want the best thing is to have less items 
because the more items you have, the more time it takes people to decide what to buy. So if you just have five really strong items, people have to make a decision out of that instead of 10 or 15. And most people, when they show up, they see the one that they like and they know, and then they buy it. So um, yeah, you want to display it best stuff in the middle and work out and then uh, try to have as, as least as less as amount you could possibly have. Cause I've done stuff where I've had 20 t-shirt designs and people come up there and they look like a deer in headlights cause they don't know where to start. And then they just start, you know, their eyes just go everywhere and it, it takes a lot of time. What's the ideal number of t-shirt designs like five or less? I would say five is a good amount. Cause you got, you'd try to do like four short sleeve or whatever. And then a hoodie, maybe you do three short sleeve and then like a specialty item, like a, a raglan or a ringer or a, a jersey or a long sleeve or whatever, you know, long sleeves at the moment are doing well, but you know, a couple of years ago, raglans did really well. So it's kind of just, sure. I, I follow a lot of graphic artists. I follow a lot of other merch people. I follow a lot of other merch companies. I just, you want to always try to be, uh, you know, in the know. And that's like anything, you know, I, I follow you and trends happen. And you, if you are serious about what you do, you want to try to stay on top of those and be aware because merch is such an important thing for musicians, especially at the DIY level. You know, you're ordering your own stuff. You don't want to be a DIY band and order way too much stuff and then be stuck with it at the end of the tour. You want to try to have nothing on that last day, maximize your profits. Absolutely. Because now we're getting into like sort of a, a particularly dorky side of it. With so you're so we're talking about setting up these merch stands and getting five items. Are you yeah, sorry, so what are like the specialty items you see doing surprisingly well? Like you mentioned long sleeves do well, but what else seems to really kill it? I mean, tour shirts, there's always a person that wants the tour shirt to prove to right. whoever that they were there. So obviously, if you're a smaller band, that can get weird because now you have an item that has an end date on it. Uh, and after that tour ends, now you have a shirt that's celebrating something that had already happened. So tour shirts are always the best seller, no matter what. Every band I've ever worked for, as long as it has those dates on the back. Interesting. For some of the bands I work for, we'll do an event tee. Like we'll do a t-shirt just for that event, just for one show. But, you know, again, if it's not a great shirt and you're stuck with it afterwards, now you have something commemorating an event that has passed and it's harder to sell it. So there's there's definitely a fine line. As far as like trinket items, we that's what I call like items that go on a table or that aren't a shirt. Sure. That I think it really depends on genre and, and who the band is. Like, you know, I work for a lot of punk bands, so there's a lot of drinking. So koozies are always good but then you get in you're getting kind of into the world where it's like five dollar items or less can just be kind of a pain in the ass like five dollars but it costs you you know a dollar or two dollars so you're only making three dollars so you got to sell x amount of more just to make it worth your while so you know shirts are always where you're going to have the best margins so that's where we try to all the bands i work for we really try to push the shirt thing because that's we're going to make the most money. That's interesting because I'm always suggesting to smaller bands to kind of have a few more trinkets mm -hmm. because so I, but I guess it makes sense because my theory is sort of if I'm a DIY band playing to 30 people on a Tuesday in Chattanooga, yep, I'm a lot more likely to sell a $5 koozie to someone than a $25 shirt. It's true. You mm -hmm. know, and I'm looking to make a gallon of gas, literally. Mm -hmm. 
But I also guess at your level, it's like someone buys a koozie and you're like, okay, that was that impact is relatively minor to a kill switch engage versus a camera. It's also the time it takes for me to do that transaction. It's like, well, that's what I was about to say too, is that it's not. And like, also who would stand, like no one's going to stand in line to buy like a three inch by three inch kill switch engage patch. But it happens. They get up I there know. and they're like, ah, I'll just take the, the, the $5 patch. And you're just like, Oh well, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I'll say, are you sure? Uh, like, is there anything else I can get? Is there anything else I can get you is the best thing? Because now you're like, that's when they second guess themselves. And they'll be like, oh, that shirt that I was kind of on the fence with. I'll take that one too. This is what I wanted to ask you is like, what's the secret dialogue? And so that's the secret line. It's probably just that. You want to you wanna keep it short and sweet. And you don't, like I said, for me, I don't want to open it up to another conversation because now there's people in that line that are waiting. The worst is when people... We'll try a shirt on and then they don't want it and they'll try a different shirt on, but it's the same garment blank that we're using. So it's like that shirt you're wearing is going to be the exact same sizing as the one that, you're, you know, the other ones. I also never got that because like generally people are putting the shirt on over the shirt they're currently wearing. <laughs> That's the Europe thing. They'll, they'll put it on and be like, it's too small. I'm like, you're wearing a hoodie. Like <laughs> you just yeah. put a shirt on over a hoodie. Yeah, of course it doesn't. Fit. Like, I'm not sure what you, you want, man. Um, but okay. I've seen it all. You just gotta be patient. And you know, I just did a tour with a band that was seven weeks long. And by that last show, like I was definitely on my my last wits there. Like people were and and then the last day of the tour, all I had was like two X and three X shirts. Oh yeah. And there's there's twenty two hundred people there. And I have this massive line of people and they'll come up and, you know, it's a situation where I'm not facing everyone. They're like coming around a corner. So like they're only having moments to decide, but then they ask me for the shirt and I only have two X and three X and I have it all labeled what I have left, but it's still, you know, people need time to look and assess what's going on in their brains and they just didn't have it. So it, I was, I was losing it, man. Just, just yelling at people by the end, just like, I don't have it. You're small. I have two X. Take it or leave it. How much of that is your responsibility to calculate the sizes you're ordering? For certain bands, I do the I do the ordering, and for other ones, like I said, the the merch company they're the ones that do it. So in that case, when it's not my fault, I don't care really. It's I didn't do it. So sure, but when it is your fault, how do you figure out those sizes? I feel devastated, man. Like you know. That's uh, poten it's potential sales that that I'm missing out on for the band. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's my goal is to make whoever I'm working for the most amount of money. Um, so when it's something that I've messed up on, when you start with a tour, you start with your stock. And then a couple of days in, you can kind of see what's working and what's yeah. not. Planning ahead is the most important thing. And then also knowing that the company you have behind you printing this stuff is able to rush order some stuff for you because you know you gotta you gotta weigh out the cost of overnighting a couple boxes versus running out of a shirt you know like i could run out of a shirt and if it's not a great seller whatever but if it's something that i know i'm gonna gross three thousand dollars or something off of one shirt then yeah overnight a box and it charge me the three hundred dollars or whatever so yeah and then you just add that to your cost per shirt right like that's how i'll generally do it yeah I mean, it's just an it's just an extra expense at the end, but the amount of money you're going to make versus the expense 
it makes a hundred percent sense to to do it. So, so I want to go to the other side of your business now for a minute. You were talking before about sort of coordinating these uh, limited drops and that sort of being a key piece of the merch company. Talk to me about that for a second. What does that process look like? How are you marketing them? What's the what's the strategy there? First and foremost, the best thing for anyone is to, from from my angle, is to really understand the band, know the band, you like. The band that I kind of started with, I didn't really know much about them, but I did a whole bunch of research after I started working for them because I just, I wanted to know. I wanted to consume all the information, learn about all the releases, all the members that have come and gone, yada, yada. So once I felt like I had a grasp on that, then you kind of know who your fans are. And when, when you do the shows, after a while, you're like, I think this style of shirt would work because half the people that are coming to these shows are wearing, you know, something like this. So knowing who your fan is uh, and knowing their releases. And then when it comes to limited drops, you kind of, you're like, oh, like for instance, I have a couple bands that have 20th anniversaries or 25th anniversaries of records or 10 year anniversaries. It's like for the albums that weren't maybe, you know, the top top album for that record, for that band, but you know, people still like that band and there are always going to be people that like certain records. For the ones where it's a, kind of middle of the road record just do a small release but do something because not only are you releasing that stuff but you're you're able to put content out like hey you know fans of this record like we hear you here's this stuff this small capsule of merch items that we're putting out that are pre-order only and you know you can get these now and then once they're done that's it and then same thing for for like quintessential albums you know maybe release a little bit more but i always try to keep it limited I'll either do like a drop that's only available for pre-order or if it's not just an album and it's just like a, I'll try to do like a seasonal thing. Like, oh, you know, spring's here. Here's some spring items. Summer's here. Here's some summer shit, you know. And it really really depends on how much merch the band is actually moving. If it's a good big merch selling band, then, you know, cast a big line. See see what you can can get out of it. But if you're kind of just starting off, I would keep it pretty simple and try to see if you notice any trends as far as like what does well for you and what doesn't. Cause um, I mean, yeah, you can, you can make a lot of money in merch and you can also lose a lot of money if you print a bunch of crap and do a bunch of like really high end limited items and then they don't sell. And then now you're sitting there staring at them. So. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely wild how the words limited edition are like a secret hack into the human psyche. Totally. And it's cool when it actually is. Oh, 100%. Like, I think it's badass when you can be like, oh, no one else has this. Like, we just got an LP that was like one of 100. And I was like, oh, that's like way, that's way sicker. Totally. Because, you know, you and 99 other people have it and that's it. Yeah, like, and I like that idea of, this is sort of like the NFT thing, but not as shitty. Totally. Where it's like, I can identifiably prove that we are, my girlfriend and I are in the top 100 Alcest fans. Mm-hmm. you know like because we have this thing and y'all don't which like is kind of a, a shitty way to say it but that's also like kind of the feeling i think people have when they buy a one of 100 thing for 50 bucks totally they want to know that they're part of like that elite fan base that you know i'll spend whatever i just really like what you do and i want to support the band you're ultimately supporting the band and letting them know that like hey I'm here long term. Like I'm not just some Yeah, this matters to me. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, this is everything. I'll do whatever because you know, 
like the one band I'm I'm working for, they're breaking up and it sucks, but it's also like now you got people coming out of the woodworks that, that haven't been there for a while. You know, it's cool to see that because everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, it's always nostalgia, at least for the, a lot of the bands that I work for, they don't have that like up and coming buzz or whatever. It's more like they they've had it and they still do everything they can to maintain the people that are still there. No, and you've locked in a very specific type of punk. Yes, I have. Was that the music you grew up listening to, or did it just kind of happen? It kind of happened. I mean, I, I always listened to it, but it was never, like, on the forefront. Sure. I I always enjoyed my shitty radio new metal. That was always my thing. And then then it, then it you know, because I didn't have, like, a cool older brother who was like, yo, listen to this underground music. It was, like, whatever the hell the radio was playing. Um, sure. Uh, but then I did find punk in in that whole world, and then I definitely became very involved. No shit. With the music there, so, yeah. So it, it's been it's been weird. It's been a weird ride, and I feel like every person involved in music, it's a weird ride. It's like, how did you start? And it's like, well, I worked at a store, and one of my friends was like, "Hey, you want to come out on tour?" And then it just kept going from there. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's like the. Uh... Like my favorite quote in that movie, Almost Famous, is when his bag bursts open in front of the hotel and he's, and the tour manager's like, why'd you bring all this stuff? And he says, I kept thinking I'd go home the next day. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know. Yeah. It's what it is. So final question on the limited drop thing before we wrap up. Is there anything you're excited, like any concepts you're excited about beyond just shirts about doing a limited drop of? Do you see yourself doing a limited trinket run? You know, like I know there's that pin company that does like some really wild pins. We did some with Ingested recently. Uh, I don't know. Is there some other item you see on the horizon as like the limited drop item? I think that's all dependent on the band and like jam bands and punk bands are going to be two completely different sure. fan bases. So I I worked for a band that kind of gave me PTSD with trinket items because they had okay. like 50 table items and like I'd have to set that shit up every day. I'd have to count that shit every day. And it was just like, I haven't sold any of this. I've sold one of that every night. And it's like, to me, having that big of a spread, like I said, people come up and they're just, it's shock. They just don't know what to do. Yeah. Their brain's overloaded. So when you have a limited thing, it kind of forces you to like hone in on, okay, sure. uh, I like that. And I like that. I'll take both of them instead of like, well, uh, uh, and you know that, then you start holding up the line. So anyways, as far as like trinket items that are coming up, no clue, man. Like it, it, it's all whatever's trending. And to me, you know, you have like a one of 100 album. That's cool. And trying to do things that are in the vein of the band that you're working for. I mean, it's kind of like whatever the, I feel like if the band likes it, then they could do whatever they, they could put out whatever they want because sure. their fan, the, if a fan really loves the band and they're like, Oh, they made this comic book or they made this, whatever the hell it is like glass vase, you know, whatever, whatever the band. Can you imagine touring with something like that? No, the, one of the first ones I did, we had coffee mugs and I never again, it was just like, I managed this band that had like a horse figurine. Okay. And it was like, the, it was so like, I remember seeing it and being like, like, I, I kind of was like, I'm not doing a lot of the trinkets you want to do, but if you want to buy them, we'll sell them. 
Yeah. I remember getting showing up to pack everything up for a tour and they had these horse tr trinkets where the like the horse was on his back hooves and I was like, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> this isn't going to survive like a week, bro. Yeah. And that, like with trinkets, like the minimum orders are usually kind of not low. Like, yeah, it's like sometimes a minimum will be 100, but sometimes it's like 500. And it's like, sure. man, if this doesn't sell, we're literally going to have 500 of whatever the hell this is for the next few. I had ice scrapers was like the worst one I could think of. These like plastic $2 ice scrapers. <laughs> and like, That's so man, weird. And you and they put the year on it too. So like I said, now like you have this 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 item arbitrary is, deadline. Yes, it's and it's it's bad. If you're a band that can move merch, putting the putting the timeline on it is good because people are like, oh, that's from this year or whatever. But if you know you're not moving a lot of stuff, it's probably in your best interest to avoid ever putting a date on anything. Or if it's a dice roll item like an ice scraper. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was. Again, and that that was one of the that was the band that had a million items, and it was just like we could have totally not had these, and it would have, you know, you had to pay for these, so this actually cost you money, and now they're just gonna sit in the corner of the trailer sure. this entire tour, and then you're gonna put them online, and then no one's gonna buy them there, and then you're gonna bring them back out on tour, and no one's gonna buy them there, and it's just like this and thing where you have the wrong year on them still. Yeah, you're just gonna have this item that just never goes away. So yeah, I mean. Small t-shirt items and try to understand your fans as best you can. I mean, to me, it's like if you're a fan of a band, you'd like to think the members of the band are there's some sort of common thread or something that they like. So if you're if the band's super stoked on this thing, you would hope that the fans would be to some extent, obviously not an ice scraper. That's just like a, a shot in the dark. That was an epic fail. But I didn't make that choice. So, you know, I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> I just have to look. I like the level of resentment. <laughs> Is there anything I should be asking you before we wrap this up? Anything you want to dig into before we uh, call her a day? At some point, we talked about merch cuts, but that's like a whole nother. Do you want to give us like your like two minute overview of merch cuts and your opinions? And yeah, absolutely. I think they're terrible. Uh, I understand why venues do them. It's because they can get away with it. But if you go to any other country like Europe or Australia, they give you like a really small fee or they'll charge you like per person that shows up. So like if you're in a venue and there's a thousand people there, they'll charge you 10 cents a person that walk through that venue, the door. So you're only paying, you know, a hundred bucks. Great. And then you got other places where they're like, we just want 10 shirts for free. So you give them that. And this is all overseas, but then you come to America and they're like, Oh, uh, well the band has their own rep who's going to sell all night. And then we're going to count everything. And then you're going to give us, 20% of what you sold, even though we have no stake in the expenses and costs that all this has caught, like caused the band. So I think it sucks. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to go away because Live Nation makes so much, Live Nation AEG makes so much money off of it. It's just who and where, like, I mean, it's sort of, it start every week, it seems like something pops up where a band's like, you know, we're not going to stand for this. And it's how do we get, the bands and the agents and everybody involved where that they take a stand and do some sort of change because there's already enough people with their like hands in the band's pockets. And it's just like, you're like basically in a band for fun now, especially if you're starting out, like if it's that, like you were saying, that's gas money or that's 
The, yeah. That's the difference of staying in a hotel versus sleeping on the bench in a van or at someone's house or whatever. Like, well, that, and that's like my favorite, like shitty uh venue shitty small venue thing to do is when they're like taking a merch cut on the band who played to 25 people yeah totally because i've seen that done and i'm like okay bro even even the opening band on a big tour it's like okay it's the same thing they were at maybe a couple months ago that band that did play in front of 25 people it's like nothing's really changed they're just opening they're supporting on this big tour but like they're still the band that's struggling the most unless you see them and like everyone's buying a shirt, but like if they're the opening band and the room is like 25% full and then the end of the night it's full, like they're a non-factor. Don't take their money. Just let them be. And I mean, for the big bands, it is what it is. I don't know. I hope something changes because it's not fair, but what are you going to do? I don't know. It's, it's so infuriating to me, especially when I see my bands, you know, that I work for every night having the worst is when the rep comes at the end of the night and they've never the whole time you've been in there haven't introduced themselves. And then they're just like, hi, I'd like to take 20 percent of all the money that you've made tonight. It's like you want me to give you like four thousand dollars for just nothing like providing me a wall and a light. That's not. Yeah, it's not worth it. My favorite is when it's like an especially shitty venue or an especially shitty merch spot. And it's like, like I remember it happening to a band where you had to go upstairs to get to the venue and they made the band set up their merch on one of the landings on the stairs up. So they weren't in the room. <laughs> so you had to go down the, so first of all, like, yeah, fire. You know, Jesus. <laughs> you know, second, like that's what you're going to build me for, man. Like, yeah. Bands will cheat the system, which I, I'm all for. Sure. The bands I work for, it's like you're dealing with all these people, these agents and these venues and like the the reps for certain regions so much that like in some instances, it's just it's not even worth it. Like you're going to see that person the next day or in two days or on the next tour. And it's just like, you know, you want to you keep it by the books, but it still hurts a lot when you're you're delving out that much money and. Like the show we were at, I was giving the guy some grief at the end. I was like, hey, like, you know, 20% for what? Like I had to use my own, I had to tether off my phone to use Wi-Fi for credit card sales. And then like we had to end up setting our our own router up for to sell merch. And I'm like, what are we doing here, man? Like you can't just take money and not give me anything. I mean, giving me a table is is one thing, but it's not worth that much money that you're taking i'll just bring my own table like yeah like shockingly we got yeah <laughs> yeah i'm like i'll go spend 60 dollars to get a fold-up table and a, a black you know table skirt and you can just go on your merry way so to me the fairest thing is a flat rate because taking thousands of dollars for doing nothing is not fair when they're making tons of like a lot of the bands i work for are very heavy drinking bands and it's like for us to not make any of that, but you can take our merch when it's the exact same scenario. Like we had to pay for an advance. You had to pay for your alcohol in advance. You have to pay your bartenders to sell it. The band has to pay for an, a vendor to sell it. It's the same thing. And it's just like, I don't know why over here, you know, the culture is that, but everywhere else you go. Yeah. It's a hundred dollar fee. Just 
pay it that or give us 10 shirts. And I always give the shirts away because that ends up being even cheaper than. What's funny to me with it is, so you know that a lot of that, like a lot of the merch fee stuff actually comes from the hardcore scene. That's what started it. So the story I've been told, I don't know the accuracy. I'll tell you mine after after you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> so the story I was told was that straight edge bands would play bars. Yep. The bartenders were like, well, shit, no one's drinking or they're buying club sodas. Yeah. And they're 18, so they don't know how to tip. Yeah. We need a cut of the merch, which actually kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like, it does. If you're going to fill a room with a bunch of people who don't drink, okay. Like, you have staff to pay and you were paying your staff off the off the drinks. Go ahead. Yep. So, the, and then it kind of devolved to the bullshit it is now. I'm curious for the story you've been told. The story that I was told, Bill Graham is a giant producer in San Francisco. Sure. And he's very famous. Uh, Bill Graham presents is like a lot of crap out there. But what I heard was Bill Graham got the contract to sell Eagles merch for an Eagles tour. And he's like, all right, well, I'm taking a percentage of this. And that was like the first time because they had the tour, but they're like, all right, we want to sell merch. And he's like, I'll take care of it. I just want a percentage of it. So then that's where the merch percentage that I heard, that's how I heard. I'm very curious where this actually did start, but that's that's what I heard. And what you're saying absolutely does make sense too, because that happens it happens today. You get like a K-pop band where it's all 16-year-old kids that don't drink. It's like, well, that bar is going to be handing out a lot of water. Yeah. And just to circle back on that, it's also like if you talk to people who run like bigger venues, they will tell you they'd rather do half capacity with a metal show than full capacity with like an indie pop show because the metal or punk show will just drink more. Totally. And they make more money than the than the indie pop show. So we would rather do that. Yeah. And I mean, which makes sense for some of the bands like we get a lesser percentage. It's like 80, 20 is on the high end. But some of the bands I do, it's negotiated down to 90, 10. Or if it hits a certain amount of ticket sales, it's lower to a different percentage. Like, I would say that's fine, but it's still not. It's still a lot of money, like, especially when you're looking at the way it's done in other places. So, like I said, I don't know what it's going to take for change to happen in there. But as far as independent bands go and DIY bands, like, it's absolutely devastating. And it's so sad that, you know, you're going to take a percentage on a band that just played for 25 people at six o'clock on a Tuesday, <laughs> like give them a break, man, throw them a bone. So just be cool. Yeah. It, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's like, be cool. I know you're running a club and a lot of, all of us took a massive hit during COVID, but we're coming out of it now and you should be able to, to run your bar and make profits and the band should be able to play music and bring people in or not. Maybe you signed a bad contract and then, you know, you paid the band too much money. That's, that's on you. Part of the business. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brian. I'll link to all your stuff in the show notes. Thank you for being here. I'm going to talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, man. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. 
Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there.